I thought I might start with, an, with a story about God's amazing love, something that's come to my attention recently. Um, so this is a story from Robert, Robbie Dawkins. When I was about nine years old, in the 1970s, my dad decided to start a home for runaway children and teenagers. So our home became a home for runaway teenagers, and the only available bed in our home was the one next to mine. If you're a parent, I don't recommend this, by the way. <laughs> That's what he says. But Dad brought in this young 16- or 17-year-old boy who was a heroin addict. My dad was helping him get off drugs, and I will never forget the experience. I was about the, uh, it was about the third day into the process, and it was messy. A lot of vomiting. It was really bad. The sickness that goes with detox is terrible. I didn't know if an alien or a demon or a legion of demons possessed the kid. It was very bizarre behavior. I remember waking up Saturday morning and I saw him with his arm on the windowsill. His back was to me and he was looking out the window. I said, hey, are you okay? And I'll never forget what he t when he turned and looked at me with tears streaming down his face. Robbie, he said, Jesus came into the room. He came in this morning and he took it all away. It's all gone. The addiction is gone. The past is gone. My shame is gone. The things that I've had to do to my habit, it's just all gone. <laughs> I jumped out of bed, ran to my father's bedroom and burst into the room. My parents jumped up and started questioning me. What did he do to you? Are you okay? I told them what he said, and I burst into tears. And I told my parents, that's what I want to see for the rest of my life. <laughs> Robbie Dawkins has gone on to be a church and missions leader with a worldwide ministry. He goes on to say that from that moment of his life, he became addicted to seeing God move in people's lives. What would motivate parents to allow their ministry to invade their family life? What would um, Robbie Dawkins' adult life be like without that experience in his childhood? We may think that stories like that only happen in other places in the world or perhaps to special people who are going to go on and have... Um, worldwide ministries, but stories like that are happening in Mount Gambia. I know someone who wasn't especially looking for God, just getting on with life, who had a dream about Jesus. That dream convinced them that Jesus was Lord, and they gave their life to him. Over the next few days, God supernaturally detoxed them from alcohol and drug addiction, including some of the symptoms in Robbie's story but completely taking away their addiction in, in a couple of days. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> now they're part of a church in Mount Gambia and finding ways to share the gospel with others because God is on the move. I heard something recently that resonates with me. Jesus is moving faster than the church. The thing is that God, Jesus, always working in the world. And it's up to us to follow and keep up. 
there will always be stories like this because God is always on about salvation. The salvation that Jesus won at such great cost for us because God so loved people. God wants us to care about the things that he cares about. He wants us to know his heart and have the same heart that he has. God wants us to love people the way he does. So, in our series, Under Construction, we've been talking uh, the last few weeks about phileo love. And although you can't see it very well, perhaps if you're on the side you can see it, um, we now have a roof on our structure, on our building. It, in lots of ways, the construction is complete. It has everything uh, to make it stable, um, to make it last quite a while. The roof it gives some protection. But it's not yet finished, is it? It doesn't look finished. It's not finished. So Peter, when he uh, gave that long list of virtues, the second to last one was phileo, uh, Philadelphia, love of brethren, and we talked about that being the roof to the structure that gives us protection and a place to be cared for. And now today we're going on to agape love. Agape love, which is the love, the special love of God. So when we're talking about this structure, the analogy that it is, um, I might hand the... Down, down to the man who thought about this. You know, I, every week I think, oh, perhaps I'll hammer in a nail this time. Um, but, you know, heels, best dress, it just doesn't seem to go very well. Um, so agape love is the last of the eight uh, spiritual virtues. And it will finish off this building as we go through it. We'll finish it off. At the moment, it's not completely weatherproof. Um, even though the structure is complete. And it is the, the agape love, the love of God, that finishes off the work that God is doing in us. It, isn't he just so good at this? You, know, you can see why I don't really want to attempt it myself. This is the sort of thing that um, Cam likes doing for leisure. Perhaps not building cubby houses all that often. But certainly the Renaults. Thank you, Cam. <laughs> okay. So um, let's just look back on our core scripture that we've been um, working through. For those that... Um, don't know uh, what the um, beautiful flowery language is. We've got some um, Burmese there for those that are Burmese speaking in our midst who can read Burmese. And also uh, Swahili for those that um, can read Swahili just to make the reading of the scripture a bit more meaningful for those people. So this is what Peter said to us. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Jesus who called us by his own glory and goodness. Divine power given to us by God. 
Through these, the, God's glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. So we are different people. We were in the world where we were tempted and, and had problems with the evil desires of the world. Now we are in God through Jesus Christ, participating in the divine nature. And Peter says that's what, uh, this is what that will look like. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. So this is a journey we've been on for nearly a year. We're nearly at the end. And the last one was Philadelphia, which is translated there, uh, mutual affection. Mutual affection means mutual love, a giving, sharing love. We talked about, or Cam talked last week about fellowship. Our fellowship is a place where we love one another with the highest form of human love in ways that care, that um, support and that look after one another, giving us that shelter that is the roof. But uh, we talked about uh, Philadelphia being honouring one another more than ourselves, uh, speaking to one another in wholesome ways that build us up. We talked about our central value as a church, nobody walks alone, and that we are committed to one another in fellowship. By definition, filio, this human love, this high giving human love, uh, has a component of love returned. It's a mutual love and it has mutual benefit as we express it to one another. But to this, Peter says, we need to add agape love. This is the love that God demonstrates to us. So in John 3.16, God so loved the world, that's agape love, God so loved the world that uh, he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Because this love has been given to us, the divine nature given us because of God's glory and goodness, Jesus requires this type of love to come from us as his believers. On the night that he was betrayed, the last time that Jesus taught his disciples before he was arrested and killed, he said this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So stepping up a bit from the Philadelphia loving one another to be incorporated in what Jesus did, the way Jesus loved. Of course, the disciples didn't know it yet, but Jesus was about to go and give his life and die for these people that he loved. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. That's the love we're talking about today. For Jesus, agape love meant giving himself totally for others. For us, as we follow Jesus, his love in us also leads us to give ourselves to others, 
to love them whether or not it is returned. Agape love is an action which always benefits the one who is the object of that love. Agape is the love of God, the love that Jesus demonstrated to us, and the love that is required from the true followers of Jesus. Jesus had a lot to say about agape love in those last few chapters of the Gospel of John. So if you want to get a handle on what it means, um, chapters, uh, John chapter 13 through to chapter 17 will give you a good idea. And we're just going to look at a few of the scriptures that are there. So one of the things that Jesus makes clear is that agape love uh, responds to him with obedience to his commands. So, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. That's agape love again, us giving love back to God. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show themselves, uh, show myself to them. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. You see how closely love and obedience is linked by Jesus. Love for Jesus and his call upon us is our chief motivation to obey Jesus' commands. Why would we obey somebody that we didn't like or didn't love or didn't or hated? Why would we obey them? But that's not the God that we serve. We serve a God who so loved us and continues to demonstrate that. We operate out of the experience of the love of the Father and the love of Jesus toward us, the love that Jesus shows himself to us. The Spirit teaches us who Jesus is and what he's done for us, what he keeps doing for us. And we respond with a practical, experiential love that lives by Jesus' commands. So the outworking of that love is loving behaviour. Um, the scripture tells us that we are created in God. We are Je the workmanship of Jesus. Jesus actually creates us for a purpose, for good works. The good works that actually God has planned in advance for us to do. If we're a people that don't do these good works, we are going to be a people who won't be truly satisfied because we are made by God to do these things and if we don't do them, there will be something unfulfilled about our life. So Paul described love and obedience this way. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. We're convinced by Jesus' death for us that in fact God does love us. And if he died for us, then all died to themselves for Christ. So the compelling love of Christ that motivates us and sometimes pushes us into uh, risky or new or unfamiliar or uncomfortable situations, that love that compels us is the sweet spot the sweet spot of our Christian life, 
I identify with Robbie Dawkins' statement that seeing someone transformed by Jesus, he, he became addicted to seeing God move in people's lives. Whenever Jesus' love touches someone's life, there's a supernatural moment of, of wonder or salvation or peace, joy, healing, things that cannot be found anywhere else. It is that experience of seeing Jesus' love in action and of being a part of people receiving Jesus' love that compels me, that should compel us, that is the sweet spot of purpose in our lives. So what does that love of Jesus compel us to do? God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So that message of reconciliation, that thing that God does when he reconciles human beings to God so that we can call him our Heavenly Father, so that we can sing songs about the place that we have in the Father's home, a place for us, the reason we can sing that is because we're reconciled. It's also, if you like, a definition about discipleship, this journey that we're on. It's about learning what it means to be reconciled to God and to be reconciled to one another and to be able to share that truth with others. So for non-Christians, usually God is a long way away. They're not reconciled to him. They don't necessarily even think that such a thing is possible. For Christians, sometimes, you know, when we're encouraging one another in the discipleship process, we can forget that the work that Jesus did was complete on the cross. There's nothing more to be done. We can always go to him if we mess up or if we're feeling like we're not um, doing the best that we can. We can always go back and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me. Cleanse me of my sin. And work in me so that I can be obedient to what you're asking. So, does the love of Jesus compel you to obey him? Does the love of Jesus compel you? You know, if your answer to that is yes, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, that sweet spot, that place that we know satisfaction, we know assurance, we know um, excitement when it comes to doing work for God. But if your answer to that is no, I don't feel particularly compelled to obey Jesus, then there's two things that I suggest um, that are good to pray. The first is, God, reveal your love to me. Sometimes if we haven't got a good understanding of how much God loves us, we don't respond to him in kind. Scripture that I quoted, for God so loved the world, means for God so loved you that he sent his one and only son that you may believe and not perish but have everlasting life. And the other thing that happens as we're Christians, as we come to church Sunday by Sunday, sometimes the story of salvation gets a bit over-familiar. Um, we 
become numb to, to the awesome truth of what Jesus has done for us. And Christians can ever, even get to the point where they say, well, I know I'm saved. I'm just going to get on with my life now. I'm going to heaven. doesn't really matter, does it? Mm, Jesus has something to say about that too. And that's when, you know, if we're starting to feel that way, that's when we need to pray, Jesus, teach me how to love you. Grow your love in me so that I can love you. So how does Jesus' agape love actually compel us to obey his commands? One example that came to me a number of years ago, I suppose, when you have a baby, there are some things that go with that. They include sleepless nights. They include cleaning up after messy bottoms and sick bodies. They include getting up in the middle of the night to kids that are having nightmares. Um, and through that first year, when my first son was born, it was a bit of a wake-up call. So I'd been, John and I had been married for eight years. I was 29. And so for eight years, we'd been dinks, double income, no kids. Uh, there's a kind of freedom in that, <laughs> bit of extra cash, etc., that goes along with that. Um, and then when a child comes along, everything changes, yes? Because you have to change your life around the baby's needs. And it occurred to me that I had never known what self-sacrifice was until my baby came along. Um, some would say that, um, you know, responding to your baby's cry, etc., actually reflects an instinctive, uh, primal motivation that is in you. But we all have heard the stories of families that don't do so well, where that bond isn't there and the love isn't the thing that holds the family together, that allows you to put aside yourself, deny yourself for the needs of your child and for your family. So that's an example of love compelling us. So too in Christ. Agape is the love of personal sacrifice. Jesus said this, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Can you hear what Jesus is saying there? He's saying that close relationship with him, friendship even. Who would know, really, that it is possible to be called the friend of God? And yet, that is what Jesus says. If you obey my commands, if you lay down your life for your friends, for my gospel, um, then we are friends. I no longer call you servants. I call you my friend. Jesus was obedient to God the Father in all respects. He proved his love for the Father by, by being obedient, even to death on a cross. And when we're prepared to obey Jesus, even to the point of self-sacrifice, that's when we're living out a relationship of love with Jesus and the Father. If we doubt the call to sacrifice, listen to these words of Jesus from Luke. 
Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will save it. What awesome, serious words are they? He goes on, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Taking up our cross is taking up the good works that we're called to, the acts of service that Jesus is calling us to. We are Christ's workmanship, created in Jesus to do those good works. And in doing them, we find who we really are. You know, the world tells us that it's about finding good goals and achieving them. That's what will give you happiness and success and contentment in life. The trouble with worldly goals and achievements is that they're short-lived. Are there any Richmond supporters here today? <laughs> That's what happens when you're in Mount Gambia. But they're all rejoicing, yes? They are all celebrating. And those guys that worked so hard um, yesterday, they are celebrating like there's no tomorrow at this point. But, you know, their holiday won't last all that long. They worked hard all year, but it takes more than one year to build the kind of team that can win a grand final. It takes a few years of getting that right mix of experience, older and younger players, getting the right players in for the right place in the, in the team, training them up. And so... In a few weeks, they'll be back at it. And the grand final success and all the joy that they feel right now, that'll be because that was 2019. Next year, it's 2020. It all starts again. I can guarantee you for the giants, there'll be people in place there. They're, they're working on this today. What can we do next year that guarantees we don't come second, we come first? But what Jesus asks us to do, what he places in our life, these are eternal achievements, eternal things. And so it doesn't really matter how hard it is or how much self-denial goes into what we need to do. The reward is an is a inner peace and a knowledge that what we've done lasts Forever. Lasts forever. And our very self is only found in oneness with God that Jesus offers. You know, we're created for God. We're created for God. Our society tells us we're created pretty much for ourselves. And we need to, as individuals, build ourselves up, make ourselves look different, be unique, find our gift. But actually, God made us for fellowship. We talked about that last week. Fellowship with God. Fellowship with Father, Son and Holy Spirit and fellowship with one another. God is who he is in fellowship with Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We are who we are 
in fellowship with one another. And Jesus said that if we don't take up our cross and take up the good works that he's given us to do, then we forfeit our very self. He says, um, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? You know, there are rich people in this world who can have everything that they want. And where are they? Does that make them more happy than the rest of us? <laughs> and yet if we lose or forfeit our very self, what will be the point? So to know the love of God is to trust God so completely with our lives that we will obey and we will sacrifice and we will take up whatever cross is in our lives and follow wherever Jesus leads us. Um, I have heard that taking up the cross as being talked about our troubles or illness or disability, you know, whatever hard thing there is in life, Jesus wants you to drag that around and be faithful. But Jesus said, whoever is weary or burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me and I will give you rest for your souls. He was talking about the yoke that went over two oxen. And so instead of being on your own, you are always yoked with Jesus. And you are together bearing whatever burden you have in this life. He said, learn from me for I am humble and gentle in, in heart. And you will find rest. So... Taking up of the cross is really about taking up the responsibilities, the duties, the callings that we have to follow Jesus. We get to share every burden with him and we get to know his rest in all of that. No matter how hard it gets in our lives, there should always be that place in our being where we know that Jesus is sharing this with us. We're not doing this on our own. That we should know, we have this uh, assurance that there's an eternal benefit happening here. So, are you at the point in your life where you're prepared to consider the self-sacrifice that Jesus is calling you to, the self-denial that he's calling you to? Is it something that you felt is appropriate for those Christians that go on to worldwide ministries but you know, not really something the ordinary Christian is called to. Whoever loses their life for Jesus is the one who finds their life. True life is found in God through Jesus and only in him. Jesus showed the way of agape love by laying down his life. But he didn't stay dead. And for whoever who believes in him so that they should not perish but have everlasting life. In the same way, Jesus calls us to lay down our lives for the joy set before us and eternal life lived, seeing God moving in supernatural divine power in people's lives. Let me leave you with those two questions. Does Jesus' love compel you to love 
and obey him. Is self-sacrifice as you follow Jesus something you've considered? Jesus did tell us to count the cost, to count the cost, and to know what we can do. But he does call us to take up our cross and follow him. So let's pray.